You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes on social media, uh, Facebook memories pop up. You ever have those? And for me, it's usually like, oh, I've always taken goofy pictures. Um, Is usually what I think when those memories pop up. But it was interesting this week because my wife shared with me, she said, do you know where we were six years ago today? And, you know, I'm like, I don't know where I was six hours ago, so probably not. But it popped up this week that six years ago, our oldest child, our son, graduated from college, graduated at the, at the end of the fall semester, and so we were at that graduation. And I was thinking about that event in relationship to the passage of Scripture we're looking at today, because that was kind of an unusual thing. It was a smaller graduation because it was the middle of the year. His girlfriend was there, who's now his wife. Also at that graduation, graduating was a guy I didn't know at all. Nobody in my family knew him. Now he's my son-in-law. Um, later, my wife, my daughter would meet him, and now they're married. And so in six years, we've had two weddings in our family. Um, we, my youngest got her, went from 10 to 16. Now she's got her driver's license. So that, you know, I'm, I'm the same, but <laughs> that's not true. I was losing it back then. Now it's gone, right? And so it was interesting to think about all of the changes that took place in, in, in the life of my family in that six years. And then the thought came to my mind, what will the next six years be like? Now, most of those things that I shared with you were good things. Um, I say most, my uh, son-in-law, the verdict's still out on him. Um, just kidding. I, he's coming to visit in a couple weeks too. I should start practicing being nice. But we don't know what the future is. We're not sure what the new year, the, new, the next week are going to hold for us. And we've been talking about, we, we started last week talking about joy. And Paul writes this letter that uh, the book of Philippians is commonly thought of as one of the most important books related to the idea of peace and joy. But Paul writes it while he's in jail. And he's awaiting trial and he's awaiting a verdict and he's not sure how things are going to turn out. And so we want to talk about the idea this morning of joy in uncertainty. Because for a lot of us, we don't, well, all of us, we don't know what the future holds. For some of us, we think we know. We got a plan. You know, we're going we're gonna to do this next year. That We're going to make this move or we're going to make this advancement or maybe this thing's going to come up. And we think we know what the future holds. For some of you, you know you don't know. Some of you think you know you're wrong. But how do we have joy when we don't know 
what tomorrow holds. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 19, says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Well, what is this? Well, he's been talking in these first 18 verses as he writes to the church at Philippi. He's, he's talking about the fact that he's in chains, that he is under arrest, that he's awaiting his trial. He also talks about how other Christians are treating him, how there's some believers who have seen Paul in prison, and they've gotten courage from that, and so they're out preaching the gospel, and they're proclaiming Christ, and, and Paul has been used by God as a motivation for them. But there were also people who despised Paul and, and didn't, didn't like him, didn't, they were ashamed of the fact that he was in jail. They were preaching the gospel, almost despising Paul. But he said, either way, God's going to be glorified. And he says, for I know that this, what I, the circumstances that I'm going through, the difficulties that I'm currently enduring, this will turn out for my good or for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. For with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. And so, in the middle of this uncertainty, whether he was going to, uh, whether his case was going to turn out positively and he was going to be released and he could see these folks again, or whether maybe he would be sentenced and maybe even die in jail, he said, I don't know what's going to happen. And yet there was joy. He says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, verse 19, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That word know in the Greek means an intuitive, absolute knowledge. It's the knowledge of something that is settled. It went, when Paul said, I know, he said, I know. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we we begin or we live with our end secure. You ever, this time of year, maybe you go home or go to some place for Christmas. And, or maybe you've got family coming to you for Christmas. And you look forward to that time when everybody's together, you're in the home or you're wherever you are celebrating. But in between is that travel. And sometimes that travel can be difficult. 
Uh, sometimes there's delays and flights and other arrangements. Sometimes as we, you know, get to experience periodically in Colorado, there's weather and, and, and road conditions and all of those things. And we pray for those things, right? We pray for safe travel, for smooth travel, for everything to work out well. And what we look forward to is the end. Occasionally you'll hear about someone who can't make it home for Christmas or maybe it doesn't look like they're going to make it home for Christmas, but miraculously they do and they make a Hallmark movie about it. Like whatever the situation is, but as followers of Jesus Christ, our eternal home is secure. Think about that for a moment. An eternal home where we will spend forever is secure. That's the end. You're where you are. What's uncertain is not the end, it's the in-between. And so as a follower of Christ, we start in a place of security. We know how this thing ends. Paul said, whatever happens to me, it's going to be for my deliverance. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or brought us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We know our eternal destiny is secure. John would write in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then John says this, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John said, listen, I'm writing to you so that you know what you have. You know that if you believe in the Son, you have life, and that is eternal life. And so when Paul says, listen, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to work out for my deliverance. What he was really saying is, I'm either going to be delivered from prison to see you again and to continue to minister, or I'll be delivered from this life to spend eternity in heaven. Now, you might say, well, those are two pretty big differences. They are, but either way, the end is the same, right? Whether, whether he dies now or later, his eternity is in heaven. And so there's security, and with security, there's joy in knowing where our eternal destiny is. He said that deliverance comes through prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit. Later in Philippians, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. He said, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Put verse 19 up there again, if you would, Dale. And he says, my God shall supply all your need, how? According to his riches in glory. 
God supplies our need according to his riches. It's Christmas time. And we say things like, it's more blessed to give than receive. But as a kid, I was like, is it? <laughs> Pretty great to receive, amen? And if you're a parent or a grandparent, the older you get, it seems like you get a long list of all the gifts you have to buy, all the people you're having to buy for. And it's a joy, but also a chore. It's also something you have to budget for, right? You got to think about how much, how I got to buy all these gifts. How much am I going to spend? How much do I have to spend? Okay, I've got to set a limit. God supplies our needs according to his riches. I've never had a rich uncle, but I would like to try one out. You know what I mean? And, and I would like to get a gift according to his riches. Not according to how good I've been all year. That's, I mean, that's not going to turn out good, right? But God supplies our needs according to his riches. And Paul was in an uncertain situation, but his eternity was secure. And the source of his deliverance was God. And so in that, he could trust. His trust wasn't in the Roman judicial system. That may or may not turn out well for him. His trust wasn't in his ability to, to do something or to talk his way out of something. No, his trust was in God and his working through the Holy Spirit. And so even in uncertainty, there are things that we can trust in that have some certainty to them. Paul goes on, in verse, beginning in verse 20 of Philippians 1, he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. For with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, verse 21, of course, is a very familiar, very famous passage of Scripture. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's easy to say, but that's a hard thing to do, amen? I mean, for me to live is Christ. Okay, well, I'd like to do that. And I want to gain, but I don't want to die. And the difference between life and death is significant. But Paul said, listen, either way, God is going to be glorified. And what he says here in verse number 20 is he says that God will be magnified. That Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. This was Paul's goal, to magnify Christ. What does that mean? Well, think about a magnifying glass, right? Remember you got those as a kid? Put it up to your eye, pull it out, and your eye get real big. You could take it, 
direct the sun and burn a piece of paper. But really, what does a magnifying glass do? It makes something bigger. It makes something easier to see. Paul desired to magnify Christ, to make him seen, to make him big. I was thinking about that in this time of year. And as a follower of Christ, don't you look around at the celebration of Christmas sometimes and see, it seems like that Jesus is small in Christmas for some people, for some celebrations? What's our job as Christians? To magnify Christ, to make him big. And Paul said, I will do this whether in life or in death. One writer put that Paul was desiring to, to be like a telescope and to bring Christ closer when he seemed far away or to be like a microscope and make Christ bigger when he seemed small. But then I got to thinking about all of us are magnifying something. All of us are seeking to emphasize or to make big something in our life. Sometimes we seek to magnify ourselves, our position, our prominence. But Paul's sole desire was to magnify Christ, to make Christ bigger, easier to see, the details more crisp, the love more real. This was Paul's desire. And he was happy to do it, whether in life or in death. We talk about this idea. Paul was literally facing a life and death situation. And in that moment where you're in prison, Surrounded by guards with swords, you understood the magnitude of the proceedings that were happening and the different things that were going on. Death was very real. And for, for some of us, sometimes we, we encounter death in that way, in a, in a close way. But for most of us, as we go through our lives, death is, it's real, but it's kind of far away. But magnifying Christ in our life can sometimes be more difficult even than magnifying him in our death. Because we get busy and we get hurried and we get preoccupied with other things. And before we realize it, Christ is small and he's not magnified at all. And that rhymed and that was not intentional cannot do that again. And then he says this in verse 22 of Philippians chapter one. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. In these verses, Paul begins to kind of expand on what he said in verse 21, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And and so he says here, he says, uh, if I live on uh, in the flesh, It will mean fruit for my labor, but if I die, I'm going to spend eternity with Christ. And then here in the New King James, which we're using this morning, he says, um, what shall I choose? But really, Paul was not making an active choice. Paul's not, he's not choosing between life or death. It's not if Paul is going to choose to die or choose to live. Matter of fact, the New Living Translation puts it this way. He says, but verse 22, he says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Paul Paul understood that this was a life and death decision, but it wasn't one that he was making. Ultimately, there were Roman officials that were going to intervene, but ultimately it was God that was at work. And he understood it was a matter of life or death. But notice what he says. If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Fruit from my labor. In verse 24, he says, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. What was Paul living for? He said, My work is to yield fruit, spiritual fruit. Why? Because he was magnifying Christ in his life. And he said, He said, If if I live, if I if I can be released, I will, I will minister to you what he was doing, he was doing for others. How do we magnify Christ? Well, we we do it by, by the way we live our life, but also in what we're doing, by doing it for others. This is what Paul was doing. Paul didn't say, you know, if I can just get out of here, then I can really knock some things off of my bucket list. Some things that I've always wanted to do, I can finally do those things. I can really sit back and relax for myself. That's not what Paul said. No, he said, there'll be fruit for my labor. He said, it'll it'll benefit you. It's possible that at this time of year, and really, a lot of times of the year, if we're not careful, we really tend to spend a lot of the focus on us. Even as we make lists and buy gifts for others, that focus can still be on us, can't it? I've got to get this done. I've got such a busy schedule. I've got to do this. Think about how we, the words that we say. Even even when we think we're doing it for other people, our focus is us. But that wasn't Paul's focus. 
Paul's focus was the church of Philippi and the, all the other churches that he was ministering to. And his desire was to go there and labor some more so that he could have fruit among them. This is how he magnified Christ. I want us to look at the final two verses this morning of our text in Philippians chapter one, verses 25 and 26, he says this, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Notice Paul began this passage in verse 19 where he said, I know that this is gonna work out for my deliverance. And now here in verse 25, he says, being confident of this. It's that same word, that same idea of, of, of a confidence in, in that God was still at work. That God wasn't done with Paul, even though he was facing an uncertain situation. God was still at work. God still had something for him to do. And Paul's motivation was to grow faith in others. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. In John chapter 3, or the third John, excuse me, verse 1, third John chapter 1, verse 2, says this. It'll be on the screen, I hope. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Paul's motivation was the growth of others. And I was thinking about this related to Christmas time. Because when you're a kid, your focus is on presents and you getting presents, right? Especially when you're like that eight, nine, ten years old, like you're really into Christmas, you know? You're into making the list and what am I going to get? And this is going to be great. Some of you are like, I'm 25 and I'm still really into it. Okay. My bad for putting an age on it. But especially at that age, like your capacity to give presents is pretty limited. You know, the best you can do is something cute and homemade that your, your parents will really act like they like, but, and they do, I'm sure. All the B kids are gone, right? <laughs> but man, it's about, it's about getting and as you get older, oftentimes the idea of, of getting presents, it's not as exciting, right? It's not a new bike. You're happy to get things, but you're also happy to give things. But sometimes around Christmas and all the celebrations, that might change forgiving of, of gifts but it doesn't always change about our attitude. Here's what I mean. 
When you're a little kid, you're making the list of the things that you want. You're hoping you get it and Santa brings it and all of that stuff. You get older, it might not be about the presence, but it's still about us, isn't it? Where, you know, where's the celebration going to be at? Who am I going to have to sit by? Who, how am I going to be treated by my family, by my friends? All of those things. We still are often the focus, are we not? <laughs> you, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, preacher. I mean, that sounds like maybe other people, sure, but not me. Do you go to that holiday party? Do you go to that family gathering? And is your first thought, man, how can I bless somebody at this event? For most of us, that's not usually it. Now, for me, it's usually, all right, what's a dessert situation going to be like? And I hope that they brought my favorites. Why? Because I'm concerned about me. We have a big controversy in our home around this time of year. Right now, it's between me and my daughter. She likes, I hate to do this and call her out like this. I love her, but this is church. I feel like we need to be honest. She likes sugar cookies with no frosting. Please remain seated. I too find this incredibly disturbing. Last night, we, my wife made some sugar cookies. We had frosting and she goes, could you not frost a few of those so that I could eat them? And I thought, I know I was there at her birth, but whose child is this? And to my daughters and my wife and my mom, I'm a jerk sometimes about Christmas traditions of desserts. I'm like, well, we're making sugar cookies and they're going to be frosted, right? And I like the little sugary sprinkle things on them too, by the way. And then on Christmas morning, I like to eat homemade cinnamon rolls. I don't like to make any of that stuff, but I like to make sure I have that stuff. <laughs> and I say that in a humorous way, but sometimes if we're not careful, it does all become about us. Well, am I being treated right? Am I being respected in the right way? And Paul said, my desire is fruit for you. My desire is to see you grow. You realize when we come together as a church, we should come with the attitude of how can I bless someone else? But for most of us, we come and go, I hope nobody's sitting in the chair that I like. I hope no one's taking the donut that I like. I hope that person that I want to talk to talks to me, and I hope that person that I 
kind of get annoyed when they talk to me, doesn't see me coming. Because we think about us. But in order to magnify Christ, Paul was concerned about others. And then finally this morning, Paul was an example of God's faithfulness. He says in verse 26 that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. He said, I want you to grow. I want you to rejoice when you see me again, but I want that to be directed towards God and what he has done by delivering me, not as some sort of adulation for me. Really, I just want to challenge you this morning with a couple of things as we close. Number one, for some of you, this holidays, this Christmas season, this coming new year, you know you're faced with a lot of uncertainty. Where is your security? Where is your joy? Is it found in Jesus Christ? And maybe that's not your most immediate need today. But are you concerned with magnifying Christ? Not all of the gatherings, not all of the to-do lists, not all of the packages that need to be bought and wrapped and shipped and placed. Are you concerned about magnifying Christ? Making him big. Making him seen. We do that. as we love others, as we share the love of Christ through our love of others. Not just by buying a big gift, but in the attitudes that we have, in the way that we conduct ourselves with one another. Even in the uncertainty of the future, let the joy of Jesus Christ and the joy of magnifying him as we serve others be ours this Christmas season. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, we thank you for your your word that challenges us. God, I thank you for this letter of the book of Philippians that Paul wrote so long ago. God, that in the midst of his struggle and his difficulty, he would talk about joy in you, peace that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. God, if there's somebody here today that does not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be that day that they would talk to me or someone that they came with about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, how we can know that our eternal destiny, our eternity in heaven is secure through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. God, help us as we go from this place to have joy, even in our uncertainty, 
to be magnifiers of Christ this holiday season. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We appreciate you being here this morning. So glad you chose to worship with us. Uh, right before we're dismissed, we want to receive the offering today. And so if our ushers would come forward at this time, uh, we will prepare for that. I do want to mention again our Christmas offering. Uh, we've got several families locally uh, in the church and outside of the church that we will help with that Christmas offering. Uh, we take about half of the offering for that. And then the other half of the offering goes uh, for our missionaries. And uh, we've gotten several letters and, and correspondence with our missionaries. They have some needs too. And so I'm excited about how we get to use this Christmas offering this year. And as I mentioned before, all of the money given towards the Christmas offering goes out to those things. We're not trying to meet uh, our year-end budget or anything like that with our Christmas offering. And so if you'd like to give to that uh, next week, uh, we're asking everybody who does give to give by next week. The reason for that is we're trying to get it out and give it to the people that need it. And so we will do that uh, right after church next Sunday, uh, our officers meet. And so if you've been praying about giving to the Christmas offering, if you do that this week or next Sunday, we would really appreciate that. Uh, you can give online at belmarchurch.com or, of course, uh, in, at, in the offering plate. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the offering today. Dear God, thank you so much. Uh, for all that you've done for us as a church. Thank you for the opportunity we have, God, to give to others. Lord, we just pray that you would take this offering now, you would bless it, and you would use it for the building of your kingdom. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.